Hello everybody, it's Christian Thwaites or Brian Janikowski on uh, Tuesday, December the 19th. Uh, thanks for joining us in our final call of 2017, where we're going to look ahead to a little bit what's happening in 2018. So the parameters of the call is that I'll, I'll talk for a few minutes. Unfortunately, Steve Janikowski isn't able to uh, join us today, but I will be joined by uh, Rita Lee, and we're happy to take questions as we go on. We'll unmute the lines in a few minutes, uh, and then happy to take questions uh, live, or if you'd like to email them to uh, cthwaites, C-T-H-W-A-I-T-E-S, at BNJ Advisors, and then we can pick them up there as well. Okay, so jumping right in. Um, first of all, I want to talk about the, uh, the uh, tax plan. Secondly, a little bit, its implications for the economy. Thirdly, where the bond market is going. Uh, fourth, equities, and finally, international. So just to kind of set the stage, we've had a banner year for investments, as many of you know. The S&P 500, so that's the large cap index fund that uh, you know, tracks the 500 largest stocks on the market is up 20% um, and add another point and a half for dividend reinvestment. Uh, NASDAQ, which is uh, certainly the, the, the investable NASDAQ is pretty tech heavy. So we've got the uh, Amazon, Facebooks, uh, uh, Netflix, Microsofts, Googles, and so on, which are in there, though, otherwise known as FANGs. That's up 33%. Uh, small company stocks uh, were pretty pretty uh, unremarkable for most of the year. And then as the talk about the tax plan began to get legs in the fourth quarter, around about September, they suddenly took off. So I think around about September, we were looking at the S&P up about 15%. Small company was essentially flat. And then since then, small company has been up about 12%. So it still lags the large, larger company index, but it's really, uh, really uh, come along pretty well in the last quarter of the year. International markets up about 23%. A good chunk of that is, is due to the depreciation of the dollar. Um, in local terms, up about 15%. There's certainly a good showing after a disappointing number of years. And then the two outstanding ones were emerging markets, which were up 32%. That really is a reflection of a bounce back in China and also some of the uh, Asian economies. In fact, the Asian uh, uh, equity index was up 42%. So uh, they, they comprise a large chunk of the emerging market index, um, and, and, and they did very well. Less responsive, uh, less um, impressive on the emerging markets were uh, Russia and Brazil. Obviously, Russia is still very much a uh, petro-oil-denominated uh, type, of, type of market. was the banner year for those types of commodities. Uh, and Brazil is still struggling um, after many years of underperformance. So the, uh, yeah, the, the big numbers were certainly in emerging market and Asia. But let's turn first to the tax bill, which is uh, signed by the House this morning. It'll come before the Senate tomorrow, and obviously it, it looks like it's going to pass. Uh, it's huge. It's 560 pages. We don't claim to have uh, looked at it in a lot of detail. Um, I think a lot of them are going to be, uh, uh, we're going to find out about them as they come through and as people dig through it, it's obviously not been a process which has been particularly transparent. There hasn't been a lot of commentary uh, on the tax bill. In fact, it looks like it's been run, written by uh, a bunch of lobbyists. So um, there's, there's a lot in there, but I would say that underpinning it, uh, front and center, 
is the deduction in the corporation tax. This is something which uh, Trump uh, campaigned on. It's been front and center of the GOP economic agenda for quite a while. And uh, obviously the thinking of it is that in the US corporation tax, which is quite high um, by international standards, but its effective rate is considerably lower than its, uh, than its actual declared rate, um, is a hindrance to US corporations. There's no real evidence of that, but that's the, that, that's the mantra. And that by reducing corporation taxes, that will lead to an increase in uh, capital investment um, and uh, wage growth, job growth, uh, and 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 uh, another other sort of you know, good benign things for the U.S. the U.S. economy. But let's just look at that quickly because the S&P 500 has an average tax rate of 22%. So moving it from 35 to 21 or 20, whatever the final number is will make very little difference to S&P 500 companies. Now there are, that average conceals a lot. There are healthcare and tech companies which play, which pay much less than 20% uh, and some of the big names pay single digit corporation taxes. And then there are some high tax industries like energy and industrials and in consumer discretionary. So that average hides a pretty wide disparity of different results. But on average, uh, it's not going to make a lot of difference to earnings within the S&P, although it might make a difference in earnings to the um, to the underlying sectors. But then let's look at small companies, and there the tax rate is markedly different. The median tax rate there is closer to 30%. So for smaller companies, which are more domestically facing, uh, do not have as as many opportunities to put intellectual capital or or move around uh, different types of assets and cost centers around low, low tax domiciles, um, that, that high tax rate, I think, will make a difference to smaller companies. And, and, I, and I think that's going to uh, benefit uh, earnings. How much is difficult to say, but I think it's safe to bet that it could be about 5 to 7% on earnings with no other changes in uh, sales, uh, earnings, or, uh, or expenses. But um, so, so how do we put all this together? Well. First of all, we've got to remind ourselves that the survey of U.S. companies has said that they will not use the tax breaks uh, for investment or employment. They're going to use it for share buybacks. So uh, that's what they're telling us, um, and that's obviously good for equities. It's less. Uh, it's going to have less of an effect on the U.S. economy, and of course, what it also does is increase. The budget deficit, and that's probably by 1.5 trillion or so over 10 years, about 150 billion dollars a year. And just as a reminder, the, the 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 current budget deficit is about three to 400 billion. So it moves it up by by quite a bit. There'll be some more treasury issuance. We're not overly concerned about that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but it's I think all in all, it's going to be a front end loaded tax plan. We're going to get some movement, I think, in the economy in the first quarter as the corporation tax comes through and as some of the lower bands come come through with individual consumers, and that might uh, give a little kick to consumption. We've been asked a lot about the um, mortgage interest deduction allowance of $750,000 and what will that do to housing. I think on balance, it'll probably be fairly small. The current limit is a million dollars. That's been in place since 1986, and that hasn't stopped real estate taking off in uh, in core markets, including the Bay Area. And also, 
the the wealthy, which this this plan obviously favours quite a bit, will also have not just income taxes but pass through income and business owners taxes, which can be taxed at lower levels. So they'll still get more discretionary income, which will probably keep the, the housing market fairly buoyant. And then, of course, when we're talking about the Bay Area, we're always looking at restricted supply. So I don't think that it's going to have a, a, a big difference on the housing market. I'm, I might be wrong, but I feel fairly confident that, uh, you know, with all of the other factors in, in, in the Bay Area, that's not going to be a major, uh, a major concern. So um, that's, that's kind of where we are with the tax cuts. Kind of you know, be interesting to see how it winds its way through. But let's just kind of now go on to the economy. Interesting, last two quarters, we've had 2Q and Q3 growth at over 3%. And the U.S. economy hasn't been able to sustain a 3% growth rate pretty much since the recession of 2007-2008 uh, for more than two quarters. So the fact that it's stitched two back-to-back -back, uh, is pretty good. Um, I think for the year, we're coming in about 2.2%, which is marginally ahead of the last few years' average of 2%. Um, as I mentioned, I think early next Next year, the, uh, the, the tax benefits are going to be front-end loaded. And why do I say that? Because I think the first thing that's going to happen is uh, if people's individual tax bans will drop and their itemized deductions will change, and that will throw up a little bit more after-tax income into some people's paychecks. Plus, uh, you know, it, it, people are generally fairly optimistic about, about uh, going into 2018 on spending. So I think we'll see... Again, some of these uh, front-end loaded effects on the economy, but I can't see it really affecting the economy for the longer term, primarily because uh, uh, employment seems a pretty much full stretch and uh, people are running down their savings. So it doesn't seem as if there's a consumption can edge up a lot when we're in a situation where uh, consumption spending, which is 70% of GDP, is growing at 5%, but after-tax income is only going to grow at 3%. So... It's difficult to see that this taking off to the three, three and a half percent economic growth. Okay, so uh, moving from that, uh, what what are we looking at bonds? Well, today actually we've just seen a almost a, a, a nine month high. Would you say, Rita? Yeah, at two point four three. Yeah, on on the Treasury ten year, and that was based on the back of some pretty uh, good housing numbers. Now. This is exactly the level it was at the 20, end of 2016 and at the end of 2015. So I don't think this is a major breakout. Uh, and for the last three years, actually more even, that the Treasury 10-year range is between about 150 and 250. So what could change that? Well, first of all, the Fed could tighten more. We expect three or four uh, ratchets up in the Fed funds rate in, in 2018. They could tighten more. Secondly, the, uh, the balance sheet runoff that the Fed is doing, whereby they're gradually selling their treasury and mortgage-backed securities, could run into a problem. It, we don't think it will, but there's always a technical issue that might uh, affect the market in the short term. Uh, inflation could uptick. Um, we could get higher growth, or the Fed could react to some sort of asset bubble. And uh, exhibit number one on the asset bubble, uh, I'm afraid, is, of course, Bitcoin, which hit $19,000. <laughs> there are probably a lot of uh, factors that would be anchoring the long end. Yes. Um, I think the the main thing is there's a huge amount of demand Correct. for long-end treasuries. This is We talked about this before. This is pension funds where they can get a nice liability match on uh, in 10 years and above. Secondly, we do have to look at where else can you get a sovereign bond 
at yielding two and a half percent, and the shorter answer is you can't. <laughs> uh, Japan, the ten-year is targeted at, and I think will remain so at zero percent, right. and German bonds are just over zero percent. Uh, and also, we've got the uh, the ECB on a QE spree that won't run out at least until September. So part of it is, uh, I think, um, Rita and I talk about this a lot, is that, um, yes, the supply might go up a bit. We don't think the supply will go up at the long end. And meanwhile, you've got these uh, relatively low inflation numbers, which you don't see necessarily upticking and, and a huge amount of demand for a long end bond. Okay, uh, let's just turn quickly to U.S. equities. Um, it's been uh, a, a kangbuster year. Uh, I, I think we've been talking about this along the way. Earnings have really supported this, this market. Um, first quarter earnings were up 11, 12. Um, they've been running at 7% since then. Um, so the market is no more expensive than it was 12 months ago. Um, of course, we could see some correction. Um, it's, it's run up pretty much in a solid straight line. We've seen incredibly low volatility, especially if you measure it by the VIX index. Uh, so it's been uh, you know, a, a, good, a good year. And I think people are going into the fourth quarter earnings will be, I think, pretty robust. And they'll be announced uh, end of January into February. Um, so it, the, the market is a little expensive um, and we could see some some corrections, but we don't think it'll be very big. And, uh, and, and certainly what we've got on the small company side is still, still some, up, some upside potential. And I think the key is to own um, quality companies, uh, dividend-oriented companies who are able to grow dividends um, would be favored continually, especially with earnings supporting that. Exactly. So finally, let's just turn to international. Uh, we mentioned emerging markets. What we look for in emerging markets is a, is a kind of rule of thumb that works more often than it doesn't, is that if, if emerging market growth is 2% above the US, it tends to be a, a, good, uh, a good sign for capital markets and equities. And we're currently in that range. China's coming in at six, six and a half, which is a good you know, three and a half points clear of the US. And I think emerging markets, if you kind of roll them all together, are coming in at uh, four, four and a half. So that's, that's been very good. It's been a good year for emerging markets. Quite frankly, in the five years prior to that, it wasn't worth the effort to be in emerging markets. It really peaked in 2010 relative to the US. So the US has been a lot better uh, up until the beginning of last year. Uh, if we see a gla a, the gap closing to what it was in 2010, we would expect that's simple math, just the emerging markets to rise about another 120%. Now we're not saying that's gonna happen, over the next uh, couple of years, but there does seem to be a lot of you know favorable, favorable uh, you know wins uh, on the emerging market side after after you know many years of being a pretty disappointing area. The other area which we like, uh, two areas in fact, is Japan, where earnings are continuing to grow quite well, and uh, and right now the Japanese market, even though it's up, second section stock market was up uh, well over 20% in uh, 2017. It's actually cheaper than it was a year ago. And the Japanese market is yielding 1.6%. And as we mentioned earlier, Japanese government bonds yield zero. So that, that's a pretty good underpinning for the Japanese market. And then on the EU side, Europe, uh, excluding UK, excluding Scandinavia, um, still going to benefit from quantitative easing. The political side has, has dampened down a lot. Don't really put much store in the Catalan vote uh, coming around again. 
good growth uh, and inflation still low. So we're still uh, overweight international and emerging markets, uh, the same position that we had uh, about a year ago. So in general, uh, let's just wait to see what the uh, tax numbers come through. I think it's going to be a little bit bumpy, and this could be one of those uh, buy the rumor, sell the news uh, effects on the market, but uh, I don't think the correction will be you know, big enough or, or broad enough to warrant uh, you know, trying to top sell and getting back in. Um, and we're still quite uh, bullish on, on U.S. bonds, despite um, the prospect of interest rates and, and some supply coming on the, coming on the market. So we're going to unmute the lines right now, and we're happy to uh, take calls from anybody. Um, if you if you do have a call, just just pitch in. I'll this stop always talking. feels like a little sketchy. Hello. 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 Your line is unmuted. Yeah, all lines are unmuted. If you want, I'll, I'll just go quiet for a little bit, and uh, uh, happy to take calls. One uh, interesting point that came up yesterday in an in a email from a client was the prospect of inflation, where we've been talking for a while about uh, relatively low rates of inflation in the U.S. And uh, her point, which was a, a very good one, was, well, that's not tracking with, with uh, her own individual experience. And um, that is true because, uh, you know, San Francisco and the Bay Area has a different type of inflation dynamic than the rest of the country. Uh, for example, while wages here in the in, in the Bay Area are about $1,800 a week, so they're over double what they are for the national average, housing takes up 45% of people's expenditure. The national average is 23%, and uh, housing is increasing at a rate of 5 to 6%. The national average is 3 to 4 So um, we do have some pressures, uh, you know, in, in this area, which is sort of, and, and also in Things like food and gasoline taxes, and uh, and the other thing is that you know property taxes are a pretty big part of people's checkbook, aren't included in the uh, in broad inflation numbers. So people people's experience about inflation will be very different, and we sort of really uh, caution as we sit down and make individual investment plans to to look at what uh, individual investors' expenditure is going to look like, whether it's going to be healthcare dominated, travel dominated, uh, housing. Right. Uh, tax and, and work out what the right inflation number is for for uh, every person because the, the broad numbers uh, tend to understate what people's experienced inflation is. So happy to talk about that more. Okay, I think we've got everybody um, unmuted. Yep, and. Uh, I think at this point, we want to keep respectful of people's time. We want to run from 1, one o'clock to 20 past. So uh, we'd like to thank you, everybody, for, for calling in and uh, listening to us in 2017. We'll be back at the beginning of 2018. Yes, we'll have a very prosperous 2018. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's goodbye from everybody here. And uh, uh, But don't, don't leave the X. We want to hear the disclosure. Please note the information provided in the presentation for general information purposes only should not be considered individual recommendation or personalized investment advice. The investment strategy discussed in the presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or own particular situation before making an investment decision. Questions, opinions are subject to change without notice. 
in reaction to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance, no guarantee of future results. The opinions presented cannot be viewed as an indicator of future performance.